Hello and welcome to Screen Babble, your guide to what to watch. We'll be tuning into hours and hours of TV so we can tell you what you need to be switching on and what's to be avoided. I'm your host, Kelly Crichton, and as ever, our resident TV critics are here with me, Stephen Ross and Benjamin Jackson, reunited once again. Thanks to Natalie, who joined in last week. I have to say, watched it back, and you guys were fairly on the nose with your BAFTA predictions. But we'll have a chat about that in a little while, but well done. Remember, if you want to see our faces, you can head over to Freeview Channel 276 Shots, which is brought to you by a network of journalists across the country who are transforming stories at the heart of your community into great TV. You'll find true crime stories, football news and analysis, plus coverage of lifestyle, TV, film, and much more. We're very excited very excited to be joined by none other than Line of Duty's own Martin Comston and pal and co-star Phil McHugh today as well. Uh, we had a little chat about their new travelogue series, Martin Comston's Norwegian Fling, and that's coming up in a little while. If you haven't tuned in before, each week we'll be chatting about what we're watching as well as looking more closely at a new programme or something making the headlines in the deep dive. This week Benji has been leaping into Avatar, The Last Airbender out on Netflix today. Finally, we go back to the future to tell you about a programme you may have missed when it first aired or streamed and Stephen has been travelling back in time to check out Coupling. Which is funny because I looked at it and I went, I feel like I should know this and then I didn't recognise it at all when I looked it up. So I'll be interested to hear what you have to say about it, Stephen. So first we'd like to chat about what we've been watching. Stephen, tell us what has been on your screen this week. Yeah, so I finally um, got back to the cinema and saw Zone of Interest, which is it's a British film, but it's a foreign language. It's German, um, and it, it follows the Rudolf Hess family um, during their time as Hess is the commandant of Auschwitz. So it's it's a pretty heavy drama and very art house. It's an A24 film, but it's very interesting how it's done. You, you don't ever see anything inside Auschwitz. It's all from the perspective of the Hess family in their home. And the only indication you really get to what's going on is the soundscape. And it's a fun, I mean, it it won best sound at the the BAFTAs and and you Mm. can see why it's going to win at the Oscars. I imagine you, you just hear during this like sort of domestic scene of Hedwig, his Hess's wife, sort of taking the baby to to look at the flowers in the garden. You hear occasional spats of gunfire, the odd scream, uh, barking guard dogs and Ugh. sort of the wear of machinery. And throughout, you see in the background to the Hess residence, the guard towers and the chimney stacks, which mm-hmm. eventually start puffing out smoke. It was very dark. I mean, I knew going in that's what it would be. Um but it was very well made. It was, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, it's very art house in certain certain respects. It it was a very brave opening. I've never seen a film that starts the way that that film started. Um, and I don't want to really ruin that because it was very interesting to see it unfold. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, you never see anyone get injured or killed or anything you just have that sort of gnawing feeling that you're in yeah. such close proximity to a lot of death and destruction as you're watching these young children grow up in the hess home and mm. slowly become like 
quite unconsciously affected by the uh, the death that they're living really close to. Yeah, it was it was fantastic, and it was it was only like an hour forty five, which I think worked really well for that film. It 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 was very tight, and it was it was very compelling. I guess is the word. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I. I've never really seen a film like it. So it's it, especially not a film about the Holocaust that deals with it in that way. It was, yeah, it was, it was great in that sense. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? It's, it's kind of like in horror films or thrillers where your imagination is doing all the work, isn't it? When you have a inclination yeah. of what's going on that you can't see in, in ways that can be a lot more powerful than having something on the screen. Okay, great. And it's nominated for a few Oscars, I presume. More yeah, than just I, sound? It's nor- nominated for Best Picture, I think, mm-hmm. and I believe also Best International Film. I don't, I think it's probably to Art House. I think Anatomy of a Fall will probably win Best International Film. Okay. And I mean, Oppenheimer's going to win Best Picture, isn't it? But it, it, I, I imagine it will get Best yeah. Sound. It definitely deserves to. Uh, yeah, it's up yeah. for Best Picture, Best Director, Adapted Screenplay, International Film and Sound. So it's a quite up for quite a few. So um, still time for you to get out there and see it before the Academy Awards. I have great plans to see like all the films before then, but I'm afraid I'm going to fail dramatically at that. 10th of March for the Oscars. OK, thank you for that. That's the zone of interest, Stephen. Um, right, Benji, BAFTAs. You guys had a chat about it last week. And as I said, fairly yeah, on the I think nose. it was almost predictable i mean we talk about the zone of interest it was really nice to see jonathan glazer get his flowers at the uh, at the award ceremony should i say and um, that picked up best non-english language speaking film um a bit gutted okay. that sandra huller didn't get any flowers because i thought her performance in zone of interest and anatomy of a four were all, both incredible but she'll get her time mm-hmm. but it was almost to be expected with the baftas this year you had oppenheimer taking best director with christopher nolan best actor with killian murphy mm-hmm. uh best film which led to a prankster jumping on stage which the bafta were not happy about which I watched it live and I never noticed him. There was a black individual at the back between Emma Thomas and Christopher Nolan. But I just thought that I thought just thought that all the people that were standing around were part of the film crew. You know, I just presumed he was part of the. Well, I mean, that's the crew that's how we because the, they didn't no, seem I to mean, react. That's how we got away with it for so long. Was that when Emma Thomas mm-hmm. asked the other crew members and the cast to come on stage? Yeah, she was like, "Come it on!" It was kind of like a, a yeah. free for all, wasn't it? But. Emma Stone picking up the BAFTA for Best Lead Actress. Her speech was lovely, wasn't it? Yeah. The speeches were good, I thought, weren't they? Well, I mean, it wasn't shown live. There was that two-hour delay, so perhaps they tightened everything up Mm. in the editing, Mm -hmm. potentially. Uh, I also enjoyed the fact that Divine Joy Randolph got her Best Support in Actor. She also, with the holdovers, bit gutted that Paul Giamatti himself didn't get anything, but, you know, going up against Killian Murphy, who, interestingly enough, turns out made history that night by being the first yeah. Irish-born actor to ever win the best lead actor performance. RDG, Robert Downey Jr. also picked up the best supporting actor as well. And it was pretty much everything that we thought yeah. would happen with the BAFTAs. We knew that Saltburn probably wouldn't get any flowers. That's why Sophie Ellis-Bexter mm. did a live performance instead. 
Uh, I think the biggest shock was that Killers of the Flower Moon got yeah. nothing yeah. at the BAFTAs, which surprises me given that Marty's normally had a pretty mm. good career and history with BAFTAs. And it'll be interesting to see how this plays in. We still have the SAG Awards that take place this weekend, which is considered the last major award ceremony mm-hmm. leading into the Oscars. So I think if Killian Murphy were to pick up the best actor there, he's pretty much a shoo-in for that best actor Oscar. Yep. What I find interesting is the race between Lily Gladstone for Killers of the Flower Moon and Emma Stone yeah. for Poor Things. With no detriment to Lily Gladstone, I don't think she was in that movie long enough to warrant a best lead mm. actress performance. But come at me if you feel and any differently. Emma Stone herself said, you know, at the end of her speech, I'm going to say this now in case I don't get a chance to say it again. So I think she's being realistic about her chances as well of picking up the Oscar, you know, which she may not, basically. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I haven't seen it, but by from what I have seen, her performance looks absolutely amazing. So um yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Obviously, there's, it's a different country. It's a different group of people that are doing the voting, you know, and there's different maybe priorities and there's money involved to an extent. Yeah, definitely. But nothing nothing really comes across as apparent this year for the Oscars as Oscar yeah, baiting. Okay. One could argue that the zone of interest might be considered Oscar bait because a oh, foreign yeah. language mm. film art house about world war two mm-hmm. you know it ticked all of the boxes but saving private ryan ticked all of the boxes at the baftas a few years ago and it got beaten by shakespeare mm. in love twice mm. once at the baftas and once at the oscars yeah. so anything can happen as much as i say tell, tell you what's what's interesting is is barbie won nothing at the yeah. baftas did 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 it so no, but it got that's probably stupid. I don't think Barbie was an industry film no. for as much as people are complaining about no, it. It changed the culture like we spoke about with Natalie last week. And the People's Choice Award that happened over the weekend, which is voted by the people, they overwhelmingly gave Barbie a ton of yeah. flowers. So as much as it did well for the cinema and for people going into the cinemas once again, along with Oppenheimer, I never once kind of thought it was going to get those kind of Oscar nods, except for maybe sound design or music's probably going to be the biggest shout it has at the oscars yeah for sure i think um i think what was i made for mm-hmm. could well win the the oscar um but yeah i, I don't think the see other it winning any of the potential no. sort of disappointment of the whole thing is bradley cooper putting in a stellar performance in his film Maestro. Now, Maestro Maestro probably is Oscar bait, except yeah. that it was released on Netflix. Yeah. But it looked I've not seen it, but it looks But, but a lot of people are saying he would have he is. would be up there for, you know, the the best lead any other year. Yeah, exactly. yeah, any other so, year he probably would oh, well. be. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we better move along. We could talk about BAFTAs all day. Maybe we should do a BAFTA special next year. Um I was on holidays, so I didn't watch very much TV bar the Disney Channel. So I went to Glasgow yesterday to have a quick chat with Martin Comston and Phil McHugh about their new travelogue series, Martin Comston's Norwegian Fling. And here's what they had to say about it. Thanks for joining us on Screen Babel. Your new series, Martin Comston's Norwegian Fling, is out today on BBC Scotland and tomorrow on BBC Two. Phil, what was the most unexpected experience on the trip? Most unexpected. I mean, I never thought I would be a live Ken doll throughout the season of Norwegian Fling. You know, lumberjack Ken, yeah. oil rig Ken, 
Oh, what's the next the can, can I'm going to be? <laughs> you can what I'm saying? <laughs> um, no, it was brilliant. I mean, you know, literally we're, we're, we're very adventurous in the series. So it was fun to kind of get dressed up in costume like an oil rig worker mm-hmm. every day and into the overalls every second minute helmets on to squash the hair every day you know I just loved it <laughs> so a bit of role playing basically yeah a bit of role playing okay, fair enough <laughs> uh, and Martin I, I imagine you know everybody loves doing a road trip but this kind of work making this kind of a TV series is so different to some of your other jobs obviously like working in line of duty or the rig or whatever what is that like how is that for you how does it compare it's a bit scary just in terms of because it's, it's you it's out there you know usually you're you know, you kind of hiding behind the character and stuff, and so if people say they don't like the character, then you go, well, that's that, that was on purpose. Whereas with this, you, you do worry that is people going to find you annoying, or as an actor, you want to keep a little bit of mystique about yourself. But I think that was what's great about doing it with a friend. You know, I knew we'd have a laugh. Um, yeah, just try and be authentic as possible. With it. We've got a really good director and Rod and our producer David and team at Tern, like when we're coming on board I say look it needs to be as natural as possible whenever I meet somebody I want to meet them for the first time really I want two cameras all the time so you're getting all the reactions uh, in in real time and they've been fantastic at facilitating that for us and also we were quite strong on the first series because it did expand but we want to keep that that Gaelic sort of element to it like that's why we started this and as we go on keeping the Scottish kind of through line through it so it's been a very really um, I said welcoming um, <laughs> it's been really collaborative um, and that's what's the great we, we became a really tight unit together you know it's um, we are special on the road trip it's long days so yeah. it's a proper team effort to keep everybody going um, yeah it's keeping just, energy levels high that way as well that is difficult you need that team you know it's, but it's been it's been it's just a lot of fun and I'm genuinely proud of it so surprisingly intense. It's just—I say this sounds so stupid, but there's a lot of travelling in a travel show. Yeah. <laughs> so when you finish filming, like you'd be finished filming eight, nine, ten hour days, and it's like, right, we've got a seven hour drive now, and you're yeah. like, oh, wow, and that's that can take out you. So you need a good team around you, like you know people you can lean on. You know when people are sort of being down a bit, or they need a bit of quiet time and all that kind of thing. So it's it's it's, it's we've got a great thing. I think me and Phil really dovetail well in that. He likes to find the things in life. He <laughs> likes his food and his spas, and I like jumping off stuff. You know, so it's, it's <laughs> the in the yang. Exactly. Yeah. We're big Line of Duty fans on Screen Babble, so I have <laughs> to ask you, is there any hope we'd hear something about new Line of Duty in 2024? I, I don't. Look, I, I, we all want to work together again. Like, that's for sure. I think and there's an appetite for it. It's really heartening that people want us back. It'll be a sad day when people stop asking for it to come back. But... It's just there's just no immediate plans. One of the the side effects of having a really successful show is that we're all off doing different things, you know, and trying to pin us all in at the same time. And also, the most important component is Jed Mercurial, and and Jed is a writer on demand. You know, he's writing shows for companies all across the world. So it's it's when Jed can sit down, get scripters, and I mean, I, I think I think it will happen at some point, or I hope it's happen at some point. But no, unfortunately, we've got we've got no plans. Breathtaking started last night. I don't know if you've seen that yet. Oh. Outstanding, his new series about COVID. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, but, yeah. yeah. First, Joe, first episode was, was on Joe, last yeah. night. Oh, right. um, okay, so very final question. Where would you like to go next? Um, Australia. Seconded. <laughs> Sorted. <laughs> Summer warm. Brilliant. Thanks to you both, and we'll definitely be checking out the new series. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Cheers. Cheers. Okay, Benji, we're moving along now to a new series that looks, f- it's kind of a sci-fi fantasy 
fairly sprawling epic from what I could tell from the trailer. Yeah. Tell us. Avatar, The Last Airbender. <laughs> yeah, I would maybe peg Avatar, The Last Airbender as more in the kind of like dungeons and fantasy realm. Uh, just essentially because, well, visually, as you probably saw, Kelly, in the trailer, it does give off an air of Game of Thrones for young adults, doesn't it? But um, Netflix are trying to attempt something that M. Night Shyamalan massively failed trying to do back in 2010, and that is adapt uh, the incredibly popular, hallowed, iconic, delete as appropriate, <laughs> Avatar The Last Airbender, which made a huge, huge pop culture dent when it first arrived on Nickelodeon around the early 2000s. Um, Netflix, they haven't had a very, let's say, a good success rate when it comes to their live uh, adaptations of anime properties for One Piece that did incredibly well last year. We also sadly had Cowboy Bebop that didn't really pan out that well. But this eight-part series, if you're not familiar with the whole legend and mythos of Avatar The Last Airbender, it follows Aang, the titular Last Airbender, after his tribe had been wiped out and running away from responsibilities because he discovers that he is an ancient avatar, this being a person who wields all of the elements that the other tribes have had. Easy ones to remember, Earth, Wind, water and mm -hmm. fire much like the disco band of the 70s <laughs> um so ang takes to his sky bison appa and miraculously falls into the zone where the waterbenders exist uh, including soccer who is played by ian owsley and katara who is played by first nation actress Kia Wentio, uh, they almost act like his gardens while he also comes to terms with their personal development. Um, there was a bit of controversy before the series aired because they were going to tone down some of the sexist and misogynistic character traits that Sokka had both in the cartoon series and the manga. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about that fans though, they more than make up for it. Um, so Aang is chased by members of the Fire Nation, including Prince Zuko, mm -hmm. who was banished uh, by the big bad of the series so far, Fire Lord Azai, from their homeland, the Fire Nation, until he could find said avatar. Now, Lord Ozai is played by a familiar face. If uh, you were a fan of Lost, it was Daniel Day, who played the Korean survivor on the island um his daughter is also seemingly being anointed as his successor princess azula who is also tasked with finding the avatar first for the good of the fire nation more than likely for the detriment of everybody else so there's a little bit of that tinister family kind of cloak and dagger aspect already between the big bad family that represent the fire nation uh I really enjoyed it immensely. Uh, I thought the cinematography was there alongside One Piece and visually impressive. None of that ghastly CGI. That was one of the many, many issues that M. Night Shyamalan had in okay. his 2010 right. attempt. All of the characters play their roles fantastically. Uh, Ang played by Canadian-Filipino actor Gordon Cormier, kind of in over his head, but realizes that he now has to come to terms with the responsibility he has been bestowed. Daniel Day Kim absolutely lords it up as Fire Lord Ozai, but it never veers into kind of like the dreaded panto mode where it comes across as hammy. 
yeah, he's playing up a little bit because it is for a younger audience, but it's kind of necessary sometimes. You don't have the time for the nuances. Okay. Uh, and But Ian, Ian Owsley as soccer, who had that controversy that I mentioned, I can't, I can't keep my eyes off him. There's something about his appearance that is stunning. There is something about his performance as soccer that more than makes up for the fact that the sexist and misogynistic elements were basically the original source material mm. trying to demonstrate that he is growing up and learning that, well, perhaps in that insular tribe you were with, that women are effective fighters. Mm. And it's kind of addressed in the second episode, uh, but it's it's not as aggressive and apparent as the original. But there's still a lot that they work with the creators of this live-action remake in order to give Sokka his kind of storyline, mm-hmm. growth, narrative. Uh, and put it this way, my wife was shockingly not a huge fan of games of Game of Thrones. You know, she dipped in and out every now and again, but mainly for like Red Weddings, those kind of moments that become like the water cooler conversation. She put her laptop, laptop down after the very first episode and was engrossed really? in it. Now, it is, yeah, no, definitely. Uh, it is a 12, so it's not for young, young audiences that perhaps the original series was. There are some very scary elements, a little liberal use of language that uh, perhaps is a bit risque. Okay. But it, it's fantastic. If I was to make a lazy, lazy reference, it would be that this has got the Game of Thrones grandeur, visual, and narrative just without the six and throwing excrement and yelling shame <laughs> at someone. So. It's uh, released today. We've got a full review of it on National World's TV section as well. We've been hammering this. So if you're not familiar with it, you've got a chance to get familiar with it. And it's brilliant. I really like it. And from what I heard, purists are more warm to it than they were that 2010 piece. So don't worry, your franchise has not been destroyed. And it's um, all eight episodes on Netflix today. That's correct, yes. And it sounds like there's plenty of opportunity for future series from what you're saying as well yeah i mean it would depend on what the viewer viewerships look like because knowing what streaming giants broadcasters these days in particular there's not that patience to let something gestate Mm. so hopefully they look at the viewing figures they're good and they Mm. go we'll have a second round of that please a second helping thank you perfect okay great uh out netflix that is avatar the last airbender okay Stephen, we go over to you now for a bit of back to the future and coupling a sitcom from the late 90s about sort of well 20 and 30s 2000 what was it 2000 yeah. so very late 90s yeah. yeah um we are looking at basically the british take on friends mm. which I, I wish I discovered earlier because it's, I mean, it, it's just a more adult version of Friends essentially, but with, you know, British humour yeah. instead of the slightly, you know, more Superficial? less sophisticated yeah. American humour, yeah. I guess. Okay. Um, so we follow six best friends, like in Friends, who talk about sort of their love, relationship, sex lives, and, you know, the pub and it's a bit like Seinfeld meets two pints of lager and a packet of crisps mm-hmm. I guess I was introduced to it by my partner I the poster for it makes it look like something like fat friends or something like <laughs> just a really unappealing yeah, it's quite bad, isn't it? yeah but that was kind of a la mode you know <laughs> 
but it just the poster does not do it justice at all. It's it's actually pretty spectacular. Um, it's very funny ve- because you go into it with the frame of friends in your mind as like a, a reference. Mm. I guess it surprised me how much more adult it was. Okay. You you have um, you were a little bit shocked by things you know, were you initially? <laughs> yeah, I mean. The, the 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 main character two of the main characters quickly decide they are going to fall in love and that's Steve played by Jack Davenport who is in mm. I know him from Pirates of the Caribbean the the Commodore and then there's uh, Susan played by Sarah Alexander they fall in love Steve's other friend Jane is played by Gina Gina Bellman who was his ex-girlfriend and still doesn't seem to be able to accept that they've broken up she just doesn't you know she won't she has no truck with that Mm -hmm. and then there's uh sally harper who is another friend and patrick maitland and jeff murdoch jeff and patrick have both had some sort of relationship with steve's new girlfriend in the past so it's all a bit incestuous it's all a bit weird Mm. but it's Makes for a lot of good, um, which is awkward. Probably a bit like what it's like in real life when you've got a group of friends like that. Stuff over a period of time, yeah. It does certainly when I remember my flat living, yeah, etc. In my twenties, <laughs> um, but it's um, yeah, it's it's just very, very funny and a very good universal dynamic that's quite easy to to get stuck into. There's Four seasons of it um, ran from 2000 to 2004. It's, it's all on iPlayer. Um, so, yeah, I was introduced to it very recently, but it's I'm, – I'm, and I'm still sort of working my way through it, but it's it's great so far. Yeah. The um, Yeah, just to give you an example of the sort of humour, there's and, – and there is a sort of level of 2000s sexism in there, but I would argue we're less so than you get in Friends. I, th- I think it's – the sort of start of women being able to talk about sex in t- on TV shows without it being a taboo. Um, well, so we have the s- kind of lead-in culture here that they didn't have in America, you know. I so. was going to exactly, mention yeah. that it, it kind of sounds like it was lads mags, but with a bit of a lad mm-hmm. kind of sensibility to that's, it. That's kind of what it is. So there's, there's an episode where um, the two main love interests um, – Steve and Susan uh, are sort of going on a, well, maybe it's his first trip back to her house, I think. And her ex is saying to him, oh, the the scandal, check her TV remotes. And he can't get the TV remote to work because there's no batteries in it. And that's because the batteries have been misappropriated for a different use. And she goes into her bedroom to get the batteries out of her tool to give to him. And, it's a whole like you wouldn't have got that in Friends, um, <laughs> and with the sort of sound effect as well. So it's it's sort of at the stage of oh yes, women do have sex and orgasms, and I think that was kind of revolutionary. Um, a watershed into in TV. <laughs> On TV, in TV yeah. culture, for, it was for, like our it was like our moon landing moment, wasn't it? Where were you when a sex toy got produced on Coupling? Jesus Christ! Um, yeah, oh, brilliant. I so love it. That's why I like it. 
Um, <laughs> well done, Stephen. That's a, no, it sounds great. I actually can't remember it at all, but uh, maybe I was just never watching TV. Then I was probably just out having a good time, you know. But um, yeah, cool. Okay, great. Get the TV remote to work. Yeah, it's it's all on iPlayer. So. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, you know, you can always go back and give it a go. Good. Okay. Thank you very much. Right. Thank you for joining us this week. Do look out for Friday morning Screen Babble Weekend Watch, which will preview what to watch this weekend and beyond. If you have any suggestions for what TV we need to get into our lives, do drop us a line via social media. We'd love for you to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast so we can reach as many TV lovers as possible. We'll be back next week with more Screen Babble. Ciao. Bye. Bye-bye.